Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're going to continue in our series that we have called Stuck. Uh, we, we've called it that because we, we've all been there. Uh, we're, it's January. It's the new time of year. You've made your New Year's resolutions. I'm told that many of the places where people exercise, it, they're, they're just packed in January. Uh, but February, um, it's not so packed. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's because we, you know, we, we make these resolutions and, or we make these commitments and we find ourselves falling back into the same patterns. And in, in the, the Bible's got examples of that very thing happening. Um, Judges chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, but it's a story of a guy named Samson. Some, some of you know Samson. He's this, this spirit-empowered, physical strength. And Samson, uh, he's got some issues. And by the way, aren't you glad your life story isn't in the Bible for everyone to read <laughs> for thousands of years? Um, so let's not, not be too hard on these people. Um, but, you know, Samson's got some issues, and some of them are pretty obvious. He's, he's got some deceptive patterns in his life. He's got some anger issues. And actually, when you peel back the layers of, of those anger issues, uh, there's some issues having to do with, with vengeance. He likes, he likes to pay back. He does that quite a bit. And he's got some issues that have to do with, with lust, and sexual lust. Now, lust just means strong desire, and lust can shop can can pop up in a lot of different areas in our life. But for him, it's in the strong attraction to the opposite sex. And in Judges chapter 16, you get a little snapshot of a guy who is stuck. Words will be on the screen behind me as I read. Uh, Judges 16 verse 4 says, "Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek." The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Now, just newsflash, if you're ever in a relationship and someone asks you that question, (laughs) run, okay, run. Like Joseph in Potiphar's house, run. But here's what I think is going on. I, I think with Samson, what's happening here, I don't think he's clueless on this one. What I think is, he thinks he can manage this. He thinks... This isn't going to get me. I can, I, can, I can handle this. And so what he does is he engages this little pattern of deception. Yeah, well, here's what you do. You just tie me up with these unused bowstrings, and man, then I'm, I'm, I'm a wimp. And, um, and so Delilah does that, and of course, the Philistines come rushing in, and he breaks free, and he just does a whooping there, and that, that pattern happens a couple times. And before long, he actually is giving the secret to his strength. And the Philistines will come in and they will capture him. They will gouge out his eyes. He will be blind. And then he will be taken into captivity for the rest of his life. Friends, the names have changed. And maybe the circumstances have changed. Some of them are the same. But that story happens over and over and over and over again. Because in these places that we are stuck, it may not be the same places that Samson was stuck. But in the the places that we are stuck, oftentimes we tell ourselves the lie, I got this, I can handle this. 
And before long, we find ourselves in a situation where we realize, no, I'm powerless over this. I can't manage this. And not only do we endure the, the, the consequences of the places that we're stuck, the people around us are impacted uh, by our, our, our stuckness. And, and so the, the, in this series, what we're talking about, we're, we're talking about freedom and healing and finding our, our way out of the maze of our stuckness, and we understand that this is a process. We're looking at the 12 steps of recovery as we do this. We are not working the steps. We're simply dipping our toes into the water. You're getting a, you're kind of a 30,000 foot view of these 12 steps. And, and so uh, you, you're gonna hear me a couple times in this talk. That, you know, we still have registration available at LifePath. There are groups that you can plug into that, because these steps take, they take a long time to work if you're gonna work them thoroughly. But it really begins with saying, I can't. We talked about this last week. I, I, I'm powerless. I can't manage this. I can't. God can. He can restore me to sanity. The insanity is that I can, I can keep doing the same things and I'm expecting different results. You've probably heard that definition. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. It's a surrendering, a decision to turn over the care of our life and we're yielding to God and allowing him to, 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 to lead us and follow his lead, even into places that are uncomfortable. And so what we do today is I'm gonna talk about steps four, five, and six. I'm gonna spend more time on step four and then we'll, we'll look at steps five and six. Um, and he, so here's step four in this process as we find our way out of the maze of our stuckness. We're gonna make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We're gonna make a, a, a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. What I'm talking about there is we're looking at the shortcomings or you wanna call them the character defects or the sinful patterns in our life. Now, this week, I said goodbye to a very, to a, to a longtime friend. Uh, it was my Toyota Tacoma pickup truck that I had for uh, 10 years. Uh, it, it, it came to a time where I, I didn't need it anymore, and, and, and we just, just felt like it was, it was time to sell it. And, and so I had a friend of mine who heard that I was selling my truck. Uh, he actually lives in Hood River, and he told a friend, and before long, I was getting a phone call. I haven't even done the work on the truck to get it ready to sell. I get a phone call of, of, of a guy, and he, he's interested in buying my truck. And so I tell him what a faithful, steadfast friend this little pickup truck has been for me. And it's just, I mean, it really has minor issues, but it just, it just, it just runs like a charm. And I kind of realize I have this sentimental attachment to this truck. I'm grieving the idea of selling this truck. And uh, so I lay it all out to him in such a way that he, he's very interested in it. Uh, he, here's the price, and uh, he drives from Hood River to Salem last Saturday to look at this truck. He wants to buy it for his son. And um, so he's there looking at the truck, and I've told him all the glories of my, of my pickup truck, but then I, I feel compelled um, because of past experience. You know, it's a bummer when you buy something and someone doesn't tell you to get a full disclosure of what, you know, okay, here's what's right, but here's what's wrong. Um, so I feel compelled to tell him about the defects in the truck, and some of them are super obvious, I mean, there's a dent on the front right quarter panel of the truck. It's a dent in a scrape. And it came from when, when one of my sons uh, drove the truck into our house. That's a whole other story and for another time. But, uh, but, but I, I showed him that dent. And in the back left-hand side of the truck is another dent came last winter. It was parked on the street and someone probably lost traction with their car, ran into my car and drove off. No note, that's a bummer. Uh, those are the obvious defects in the truck. But there were some not so obvious defects. Um, it, it needed a new AC pump. The air conditioning wasn't working. And so I had already called a mechanic to find out what it would cost to fix that and deducted it from the price. And I, so I told him about that. 
And then I told him that, you know, when you're sitting in the truck, in the driver's seat, and the passenger seat's right here, there's this little center console here, and when you're driving, it just makes this really irritating squeak. <laughs> but if you hold your arm like this when you're driving, <laughs> the squeak goes away. Some of you have cars like that, right? I'm, it's just full disclosure because I don't want him driving away, having bought this truck, you know, without, without knowing what he is, is, is getting. In this searching, fearless, moral inventory, here's what we're doing. We're just bringing things into the light so that we know what we're, what we're, we're dealing with here. We're bringing it all into light so we can, we can find freedom and healing, uh, find our way out of the, the maze of our stuckness. And, and some of those places are going to be really obvious. You know them. Other places are not so obvious. And so that's why we need to take our time. By the way, doing this step could take months. Take months to do this step. And, and if you're here and you're thinking that, you know, but this, this fearless and searching moral inventory, the reason it's called searching, because there are some things that are hidden. And when I say fearless, we'll talk about this in a moment. It's not that it's not scary. It is scary. But it, it doesn't impact our relationship with God. Um, he, he knows it's there as well. Um, but, but maybe you're here and it's like, oh man, this just sounds like, if I want free, this sounds like a lot of navel gazing. Do I really need to, to do all this, this whole list? Can't I just pray and ask God to forgive me? And, and, uh, or maybe this kind of sounds like psychobabble. And, and do I really need to do this? And can I just tell you that in scripture you will see this very thing as people are seeing, as seeking freedom in their lives? If you were here last year, we did a study in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a city builder, a repairer, of streets, so he re helps repair the wall of Jerusalem, brings the community together. And he not only rebuilt and repaired a city, he also rebuilt and repaired lives. And in Nehemiah chapter nine, you're gonna get a picture of a, a group of people who've done a significant job in a searching and fearless moral inventory. Listen to this moment in the lives of the people of Israel as they're rebuilding their city. Nehemiah nine, words will be on the screen behind me. It says, in October 31, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. Interesting. They confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. And you thought church was long. <laughs> then, for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord, their God. Three hours, they're hearing from God's law. The reason that they're doing that is because they want to see, okay, what is God requiring of them? And it's going to reveal the gap between where they are and where God is. And then they're going to confess their sins, their sins and the sins of their ancestors, and that's going to take three hours. Now, are these just significantly messed up people, or are they just normal like you and I? They're normal like you and I. And I think the reason that they're able to confess for three hours is because they've done the work. They've actually gone and asked God to, to reveal these places in their life that they need to seek, seek his forgiveness and I, I think that, that what we need to understand is that even in creating this, this, this moral inventory where our shortcomings, our sin patterns will be brought into the light, we need God's help to do this because we can't even do that. We can't even see that. And, and as we do it and as we take note of these sinful patterns, here's something you need to know. 
This is not to lead us to places of shame and condemnation. Exactly quite the opposite. It's to free us from shame and condemnation. And you need to know that, that God, he knows this stuff and, and he wants you to bring it to him and, um, and you're not gonna receive judgment from him. First uh, John chapter four, uh, one of Jesus' disciples says this. He says, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. You have, in Christ, you have nothing to fear when you stand before God. All the consequences for your shortcomings, your, your sin patterns, all that punishment was placed on Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. So you don't have to fear that anymore. And what, what, what John is saying is if you're, if you're still afraid of punishment and you're a Christian, you're still learning about God's love. But hopefully you come to a place where you understand you are the beloved of God. You belong to him, he will not reject you even as you take this step. So we're gonna do a searching it's gonna take some time. We're gonna do a fearless moral inventory. It's gonna be scary, but we don't have to fear our standing with God. There could, it, could be have, it could have some impact on our relationship with people if we're being honest. Maybe there's some things that we need to just bring into the light. But we're gonna do that, and uh, we're gonna do that carefully. Now, I'm gonna put a picture up here. Of a, it's kind of a window. Uh, this is a, it's, it's adapted from the Jahari window, but uh, it's, it, imagine this is your living room window, and you're looking at it, you got four panels of glass, and the top left-hand side is the open window. This is the stuff in our life, our sin patterns, our shortcomings, where we see it very clearly. And guess what? Other people see the shortcomings very clearly as well. So this, this is just, everyone sees this. And then the, the top right-hand side, th this is the secrets. This is the stuff we don't want people to know about us. This is the stuff we try and keep hidden. And can I just tell you, that if you're trying to find your way out of the maze of your stuckness, one of, the, one, of the, one of the principles you're gonna to need to live by is no more secrets. No more secrets. So the open window, and everyone sees. The secret window, we see it. Our friends don't see it. The blind spot, bottom left-hand side, this is the blind. Other people see our shortcomings. They see it, but we don't. These are our blind spots. And then the last quadrant there in the bottom, bottom right is the hidden. We don't see it and, and people don't see it. It's sort of laying in our, in our, our subconscious. But this is sort of a, a picture of the kind of things we need to uncover. There's the obvious and there's the hidden. Now listen to David in Psalm 19 as he talks about this very thing. He'll use different terminology, but here, here's Psalm 19. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Listen to how David, what he calls, you know, that those, those obvious sins or shortcomings in our character. Those are the deliberate patterns. We see them, other people see them. Or maybe only we see them because they're secret. But there's, then there's this category, there's these blind spots or hidden spots. Those are the hidden faults. So this is why we need to come to God and, and ask for help. Because we go back to that, that window, we, we see that, again, at the top, top section, that's the deliberate sins. 
The bottom section, this is the hidden faults. And we want to capture all of that and, and create our, our inventory of our shortcomings so that we can, we can pursue healing and find the way out of our maze of our stuckness. Now, one of the ways you can do that, I'm gonna, in a few moments, I'm going to put a question up on the screen here. And this, this is a question that's going to take some courage to ask. It's a question that you could, um, you want to ask to people who love you, but they're not impressed by you. Okay, they can speak the truth in love. Uh, and, and when you ask this question, you, you, don't, you don't respond in defensive ways, you listen. Maybe ask some clarifying questions for the purpose to understand. You take notes, and when they're done, you say thank you. Okay? And this question is not for the faint of heart. And if I were asking this, to Trina, my wife, I'd pose it this way. What's it like to have me as your husband? Now, she tried to grab a microphone last night and tell everybody, but we stopped her. <laughs> What's it like to have me as your husband? Or maybe, maybe you're a mom. What's it like to have me as your mom? Or you just fill in the blank. What's it like to have me as your brother, son, daughter, employer? We're asking this question. The reason we're asking it is, is you're going to hear some good things. You're going to hear some things that are going to be hard to hear. But the reason you're asking is because there's those blind spots, those hidden areas, and we want to bring it into the light. And it's going to play a part of our moral inventory. And it all has to be connected to our desire to be free. As David talks about these, these controlling sins. So we can, we can ask a question like that. And that will enable us to do a searching and fearless, we don't have to fear our standing with God, this moral inventory, so we can fully understand our shortcomings and sin patterns that are in our lives. What then leads us um, to this, this next slide, which is the next step, step five. I admit to God, to myself, and to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Okay, I've got my list. And by the way, again, this can take months to do. It's gonna take months. And you got your list, and now you're gonna come to God, and you're gonna come to God for forgiveness, and you're gonna bring it in the light before him. You're gonna bring it to yourself so that you can get full comprehension of what you're doing here. And again, not to just add more heapings of shame and guilt upon yourself, but actually to receive mercy. And then you're gonna go to someone else, and you're gonna walk through your, your inventory of your shortcomings. And this is typically where hearts start to be a little faster. Now, why would we do that? Why would that be necessary? Well, the brother of Jesus, his name is James, he, he wrote a letter uh, to the church, and he says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's an aspect of healing, especially relational healing that takes place when we take our secrets, we take what's in the dark, and we bring it into the light. Now, there are probably some people that, that it just wouldn't be healthy to, to walk through that list with. Our preaching team was talking this week, who would be a person that, that you could do that with? And as a preaching team, we, know, we thought, we thought you know, here's a great person to go to and, and just kind of process your moral inventory with would be someone who's already gone through the 12 steps or is working through the steps. Find someone who has done the journey, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to see humility, and you're going you're to hear mercy, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear someone who's done that journey and is going to be cheering you on in that journey. They're, they're, they're going to hear you, and they'll express the seriousness of what you're, what, you're, what you're sharing, but they've been there. That might be someone that you could sit down with 
and process your inventory. And I've talked to some people and when they process that inventory, it can take hours. Just, just bring it out into the light. Again, it's not for the purpose of shame, it's for the purpose of freedom. And it's hard work. Which, if you do that, then, then actually it leads us to this, this next step. And what, step six is, I'm entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Now, let me just sort of play this out for us because there's a, a big difference between wanting God to remove these defects of character, and I'm just gonna it's kind of symbolize that with a, with a box here. Um, we, we want God to remove some stuff, but there's a big difference between wanting it and, uh, and being ready for God to remove these character defects or these shortcomings or sin patterns from our life. And here's what I mean. When we say we want God to do something, this is a, a pattern that's been part of our life. And by the way, this, this kind of can be a, a little bit of a ritual that you can go through as you take your moral inventory and you say, you know, there's some things that I want God to remove. And I've shared some of those from my own life with you. Last week, if you were here, I talked about my tendency to be impulsive. I shared how a friend of mine at work bought a new car. And in two or three hours, I had bought a new car. And uh, without even talking to my wife. Um, so I'm just going to write in impulsive, uh, impulsiveness on a piece of paper, and I want God to remove that from my life, okay? I, I'm, I'm, here's another thing. I talked about food. You know, isn't food just so comforting? It's like, man, when you're stressed out, oh, I'm hungry. It, food is, is very comforting, and, but, but you know what? Some people go to, go, to, go to a bottle. Some people go to drugs. I go to the refrigerator. And so food can have power over us. And I, I put food in the bucket. I want God to, I'm, I want him to remove this, this shortcoming, this defect from my life. And I could keep going on and on. But wanting and being ready are very different. Let me, let me explain this. For some of us in the room, when we start thinking about these, we do our moral inventory, one of the things that might pop up is something like perfectionism. Your way of coping through life is I'm just gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna make mistakes. And uh, as long as I can be right about everything, uh, then I'll be free from accusation. I won't, I won't have any conflict because I'll be right. And what happens is you end up projecting your perfectionism on other people. And it impacts your relationship. And you realize this and you realize how exhausting this is. And um, so perfectionism is something that you're gonna put in the box. But here's the deal. You drop perfectionism in there. Wanting and being ready means I need to go from, yeah, I want God to, to change me here, but I'm actually gonna have to change some things in my life in order to be ready. Meaning, I'm actually gonna have to lean into my imperfections. I have a friend who was talking to me last night. He's, he struggles with perfectionism. He said he got some new boots for Christmas, and he's in the kitchen, and um, he's, he's making some food, and he, and he spills a little bit of oil and it just falls one, one little spot right on the top of his boots. Now, he's a perfectionist. That will drive him nuts. And so he's thinking, I'm, I need to take these boots back to the store. I can't live with this. And then he kind of hears that small, still voice say, no, actually, this will be a great reminder for you to lean into your imperfections. And, um, and so he didn't take the boots back, and he's living with this angst because every time he looks down, he sees this spot, and it just drives him crazy. Some of you are there. You know who you are. And, and he's, he's, 
embracing his imperfections, and that's hard, and that's leading him to this place where he's, he's ready. Moving from here to there can take a very long time. Some of us in the room, we're dealing with, with things like uh, say people-pleasing. Someone asks us to do, to do something, and we say, yeah, sure, and, th- and that person leaves the room, and then we go, why did I say, yeah, sure, I, I, I don't want to do that. We have a hard time saying no to people. And so, so people-pleasing uh, is, is on our list, and so we throw it in there. But, but guess what? If, if we're going to be ready, that, that means we have to be ready to say things like no and draw boundaries. Some of us in the room grew up in a household where there was significant arguing and fighting amongst our parents. Dishes were broken, maybe even glass was thrown. There was a lot of shouting. And as a kid, as a little boy or a little girl, you ran to your room and you, you cried and you just tried to cover your ears to keep that noise out. And it actually led to this pattern of when it came to conflict, you just run and hide, you withdraw. And you become very conflict adverse. And, and God's shown that to you. And, and so what's happening here is that as conflict comes, you want God to change that and you want courage and that'll mean leaning into conflict knowing that there's opportunity on the other side of this conflict for growth and for healthier relationships. That, that, some of us find our identity by what we do. In our work, we've become workaholics. Our success, our identity is tied to accolades and position and status in society. And work uh, has become a very dominating force in our life. And we recognize that we want to change. Guess what? When you're ready, that, that means you're going to have to do life differently. You have to realize that your identity comes from a completely different source. Are you, are you feeling the difference here? This process of, of, I want, yes, I've done the moral inventory, I've, I've made confession, I want God to remove this. Now it gets real. And as I've even been talking about these things, for some of you, you already know what you're supposed to put in the box. Right, you got, you got your area, you're stuck. In fact, in a little bit, team's gonna be out here, I'm gonna move this box right down here, and even as we close in our worship, I'm gonna invite you to come, and there's a piece of paper in, in your pews there, there's a sermon notepad, and you can just take a pencil there, or a pen, and you can write whatever it is that you, that I want, I want this shortcoming dealt with. And even as your act of worship, you're just identifying this. You're not working the step, it's just, just one practical way of just saying, okay, this, this is something I wanna do. We'll do that in a a second. But let me just wrap up with just some some practical steps for us that will help us in this journey of finding our way out of the maze of our stuckness. First one is this. We need to prayerfully consider being part of Life Path. Every one of us at some important time in our discipleship journey, this isn't just for people whose lives are really messed up. We're all broken people. We all need to work these steps, and I want to ask that you prayerfully consider being a part of Life Path. Uh, there are groups for you to be a part of. Um, some samples of that. By the way, you can still sign up for this. There's groups on anger for men. There's group on boundaries. Uh, there's groups for breaking free from codependency, for dealing with divorce. There's a group for mending the abuse soul for women. There's a group called Parents in Pain. There's the Art of Forgiving. There's the Tired of Trying to Measure Up. Ron, our, our, who's leading the way with, uh, with Life Path, is an open group. You can come anytime talking about, about shame and grace. But you, 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 the week, sign-ups end tomorrow. 
Okay, so for some of you in the room, it's signing up for Life Path Group. Here's how you do it. Go to our homepage. Click on Ministries, drop down to Recovery and Life Path, click on Life Path, it'll take you to the page of all those groups I just mentioned and you can register right there online. But you'll need to do it quick because those groups are, are closing and they're, they're starting tomorrow. Another thing that you could do is you could take part in our, in our uh, Healing Journey Conference, which happens in April. It, we'll talk about some of those ancestors' sins. We'll, we'll talk about a bit of an inventory in that. In fact, in Lent, we'll do that very thing in our, in our Lent devotional. But the last one I would suggest to us is this, is to go and ask that question. What's it like to have me as your, and you fill in the blank, the courage to allow God to use someone to just pull back the blinds and to say, hey, here's, here's an area. I want to speak truth and love to you, but here's an area. And, and for us not to be defensive as we hear that. Find someone who loves you Maybe not necessarily impressed by you and able to speak that truth. And that would be a fantastic question to ask. And here's what I want us to do. Let's just close by bowing our heads and closing our eyes. And process. You've heard a lot of information. And maybe as you focus on some of your shortcomings, maybe you go to a place of shame and guilt, condemnation. Don't go there. You're loved by God. Maybe a great question for us to ask is, God, what is it you want me to know about you today? What do you want me to know about you, God? Before I do anything, what is it about your character that I should know today? Or maybe it's something that you... God wants you to know about yourself. You are loved. You are free from the fear of punishment. And Jesus, what's our response to you? What's the one thing that you would have us, one way you'd have us respond today? We thank you that as you speak to us, we have no fear of shame. We thank you that you are for us, not against us. Thank you for being with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.